Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Smart Cities Chronicles podcast, your podcast for everything Smart Cities uh, action, investment, and outcomes. My name is Adam Beck, the host. I'm Executive Director at the Smart Cities Council here in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, and welcome to episode 71 of the Chronicles today. We head over to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where we have uh, on the line with us Emily Yates, who is Smart Cities Director for the city. Emily, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Uh, Emily, let's, uh, let's start with a bit of an intro. Our, um, uh, our listeners are scattered all over the world. Can I ask you who you are and what you do? And can I then get you to give us a, a quick sort of, uh, uh, sort of geographic um, pin in terms of where Philly is in the US for those that may not be familiar where it is? Thanks. Sure. Um, so as you mentioned, I am the Smart City Director for the City of Philadelphia. Um, I have a background in kind of urban systems. So I've done a lot of work. Uh, I was, prior to this, I was in Charlotte, um, where I had my own consulting company focused on um, helping cities become more globally competitive through um, kind of better connecting their urban systems in a more efficient way. Uh, I also worked for an NGO there uh, as deputy director, leading a lot of their smart cities efforts in partnership with the city. Um, but I've also done work with a global think tank where I took best practices in Europe and helped exchange those to the local context uh, in U.S. cities. So I really, I'm just a cities person um, and love and find everything about cities really fascinating, which is why I think the smart cities work is, is so exciting. And I'm so excited to be here in Philadelphia. Um, so what I do in this role is uh, I'm essentially responsible for implementing our smart city PHL roadmap. Um, that was developed as part of the um, Smart City Council's Readiness Challenge. Um, so that really kind of teed up our smart city journey. Uh, it officially launched in February of 2019, so just a little bit over a year ago with um, an executive order from our mayor who helped us establish our advisory committee. Uh, and my role in this kind of space is to facilitate cross-sector and cross-department um, partnerships to really drive um, the, the use of technology and data within the city of Philadelphia to improve the quality of life for all of our residents. Um, you'll often hear, if you hear people from Philadelphia talk that we are the largest, um, poorest city in the United States and we have um, a very high rate of uh, poverty. 25% of our population lives at or below um, poverty. And it's very important to us that the technology we bring forward and the work that we do is not only for the businesses in our center city, but it's really touching all parts of uh, the city of Philadelphia so that everybody can have um, access to it. Um, and in terms of Philly, uh, Emily, what, what, what oh. describes Philly? Yeah, wh where is it? And, and, <laughs> and, and give us a 30 second tour of Philly. What, sure, are, the, what really are the highlights? <laughs> It's really easy. Um, Philadelphia is a hidden gem located about two hours north of Washington, D.C. and two hours south of New York City. So we are strategically located in the Northeast Corridor. Um, we are an amazing city. We are the home of America. You know, this is where kind of democracy in the, the United States started. We have a ton of history in this city um, and just full of people who are gritty and passionate about the city. I was... Um... I was living on the West Coast in Portland, Oregon for a number of years. Um, I traveled a fair bit. I got to Philly once and I think I was there for six hours for 
an event. It was kind of like in and out for the day. But I do remember after leaving the event, prior to jumping in a cab, I did have to go, of course, and do the one thing that everyone has to do in Philly, which is which, which is to <laughs> have a, a, a Philly <laughs> cheesesteak. So I, re- I remember, I remember being on the sidewalk near this sort of food food cart, uh, sort of plowing into this this um, very very delightful sort of um, de- um, delicacy called the the, the Philly cheesesteak, um, yeah. overlooking some of the most beautiful. Uh, murals that I've ever seen on the side of some um, uh, buildings in downtown. So I, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was freezing cold as well. It was winter. So um, I, I'm sure there's many more delights of Philly that I haven't experienced yet. But uh, it was it was certainly it was certainly delightful. Um, thanks for that intro, Emily. Let's um, hard not to sort of check in on our guests these days uh, around all things sort of covid um can you give us a 360 on sort of the last couple of months um what, what's been happening how's everyone feeling um you know where, where are you at you, you're working you're still working from home uh no doubt so <laughs> give us a sense of, of what the mood's been yeah so we um went under stay-at-home orders in early march here in philadelphia um our leadership has been amazing and really kind of clearly communicating um, what they're doing and, and why. Uh, it's not an easy task, but um, we've been working really hard on the government side to work to ensure that the services that we need to provide continue, um, as well as being able to be responsive to some of the challenges that COVID-19 has presented to, to a lot of cities. Um, in Philadelphia, what it's done is it's really amplified some of the challenges that we've had. So as I mentioned, um, our poverty rate, we have a digital divide um, that you know we have been aware of, but it's really kind of amplified it with the need for people to work from home. Um, and so kind of having access to technology, having the know-how of how to use that technology, and then also having access to internet has been something that we're really trying to figure out and navigate um, through the challenges of state regulations and federal regulations. Um, you know, we have students that are not in school um, because of the stay at home. And so realizing that we needed to pivot quickly as a city and support the school department in getting computers uh, and internet access to those students. We've had great partners with that. Um, Comcast is an internet provider. They've worked with us and developed an internet essentials program um, that targets those demographics and hopefully provides a, a way for them to access internet. But it's also internally kind of um, signaled some challenges that we've had in terms of um, the need for our workforce to be able to work from home. And if you have something like a desktop, um, that doesn't allow you to be nimble and work from home. Um, And so we've had to really address somewhat of the the digital divide on the city side as well. Um, And, you know, we're doing things uh, like we, fast-tracked a digital literacy grant cycle where we're supporting um, Philadelphia by providing this fund that creates a digital navigator role in high-capacity community organizations. So what we're seeing is is that there needs to be somebody to help with kind of technical support and identifying digital needs within these communities. And so we're actually providing funding to create those jobs in high-capacity communities, uh, organizations rather. Um, So that's kind of something that we've been working on. I think what 
you know, it's kind of the day-to-day -day stuff. Uh, we really quickly turned and pivoted uh, to create an emergency operations center. Um, our, our city geo team, which sits within the Office of Innovation and Technology, created a dashboard that we then shared with the regions around us so that, you know, there's no need to reinvent the wheel kind of concept. Um, and that's been really helping with the regional coordination of um, COVID cases, hospital beds available, um, healthcare workers falling ill and calling out, kind of all the critical information in order to be able to pre provide services to the community uh, in the healthcare space. Um, so yeah, so those are kind of some of the, the bigger things. And then just um, as most cities in the US at least are facing budget cuts, kind of starting to think through what that means and how we can leverage um, the smart city framework to help support continuing to provide quality services um, with a tighter budget. Emily, just for sort of, um, uh, for, for context, what's the population of Philly? Uh, just a little bit over 1.5 million. Okay, okay, that's, um, that's good for, for scale. Pr predominantly kind of urban suburban, correct? Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Let, let's talk smart cities. Let's rewind. Um, it, it kind of seems when I track it, it, it sort of seems to kick off somewhat in earnest back in, in, in 2017. And in fact, we, um, we had the opportunity at the smart cities council to, to work with the city as uh, actually one of the winners in our first ever intake of the smart cities readiness challenge so um we, we did get a uh, a bit of an orientation then um as you mentioned in your intro you you formally uh published the smart city phl roadmap uh just over a year ago uh so mm -hmm. er, early uh, early 2019 um so uh, I, I want to start with the roadmap, if, if that's okay. Um, I've read I've read two documents, and, and for our listeners, um, just jump into a web browser, Smart City PHL roadmap. Um, you should get there. The other really interesting doc document, um, which, which no doubt uh, plays a, a critical role in terms of intersection with intersecting with your work, Emily, um, is the the City of Philadelphia IT Strategic Plan. Mm -hmm. um, and I must say, I was exhausted after reading that document. Um, <laughs> if anyone globally is looking for the largest sort of suite of, 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 of diverse um, approaches and, and, and strategies and programs and initiatives to do with anything technology, data and community, and business um that document is an incredible read and, and i was i was literally exhausted but um let, let's we'll come back to that later but uh on sure. the on the smart philly roadmap um i always i'm a bit of a, a a bit of a strategy nerd and i always kind of when i read a smart city strategy i i do take it as a uh, you know a conversation that i'm having you know, through words with, with the city on what they want to do. Uh, and I got to page five and I kind of really loved it already because I see this diagram that, that sort of jumps out on the page at me. It's just a simple circular diagram with some colors on it. But, but you start at a point of, right, what have we got now? And, and you've sort of just clearly mapped there your existing assets and initiatives 
Um, and, and, and sure, there's sort of those typical things like, you know, networks and, and, and data related platforms and systems. Um, you've got a whole range of sensor programs that are going on. Uh, mm-hmm. One that I found really interesting, which I kind of really hadn't seen before is, is mounting platforms. You know, the, 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 the physical things that we can mount stuff on. Uh, and I really love the way that you kind of mapped out that existing situation. And then from there moved into sort of just three kind of elegant strategies. The first one, building foundations for policy uh, and infrastructure. The second strategy, creating a, a process for engagement and partnership. And the third one, which of course is is key, you know, supporting and sustaining implementation and, and ongoing funding. So. Um, firstly, congrats on the roadmap. I think it's it's very elo- eloquently done. Um, you move into sort of your governance structure and kind of the, the, the rest is history then. Um, what um, what I did also like is is sort of you get to page 10, you, you sort of lead, you lead with data. And I want to start with this one. You know, the, the, the sort of paragraph starts off, smart cities are driven by data. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and equipped with real-time insights and analytics. And of course, we, we often get, and we, we still continue to see a little bit of the old baggage of Smart Cities 1.0, which is it's sort of all about technology. But I love this differentiation. Technology is, is the backbone, but data is what drives it and those insights mm-hmm. and those analytics. With that introduction of a question, can you talk us through this document and sort of what uh, what you what you do to activate it day by day? Sure. Well, so as you mentioned, um, we launched it in February. It was a two year long process to develop it. Um, I cannot take credit for the document. Um, I give that to my predecessor, Ellen uh, Huang. But what we realized is when we were developing it is that we were a little bit late to the game, but that could serve as an advantage to us that we mm. could really look at what other cities had done successfully where they had struggled um, and use that to shape our strategy so that we could almost leapfrog in a way and catch up with some of these leading smart cities. Um, and so one of the reasons I, I was really excited to take on this role and I, I started with the city in October of 2019 is that this is a responsive strategy. It is not really prescriptive. There are a couple of prescriptive components, but those are really backbone prescriptive components in my mind. Um, But overall, it provides kind of the guiding framework of how as a smart city we want to be moving forward. So you talk about kind of the um, existing assets and initiatives. I think it's really important to recognize what do you already have in place? There's no need to reinvent the wheel. What can we piggyback off of? What can we build on to accelerate Um, the implementation of it. So that for me was a really critical component of laying that foundation and then really setting um, kind of the the guiding principles for us were were also a a critical component that we received a lot of feedback about from our engagement was that, you know, we want to be locally inspired. There's something about Philly uh, and if you come here again, we'll show you. We're very passionate that we are Philly. We're not um, San Francisco. We're not New York City. Philly is a special place and we're very um, unique and we want to make sure that we're using those unique assets, the culture and our existing resources to um, kind of pursue projects and move them forward. Um, But we also want to be innovative. We want to make sure that people know when you come to Philadelphia that we're willing to innovate and we're willing to innovate with you um, and and that we are creating that ecosystem uh, and that we're also equitable and collaborative. I think a lot of times cities struggle with being collaborative. Um, I think it's a two-way street. I think sometimes 
tech companies don't know how to collaborate with cities. And I think cities um, have mechanisms in place that make it difficult to collaborate with the private sector. And, and that's something that we really try to work through um, in this strategy. And then the equitable is just a lens that we have to consistently look through. And I, I mentioned it earlier that when we're doing stuff, it's not for specific areas. It is with the lens of can everybody in this city um, benefit from this, have access to this, uh, and, and really ultimately understand this because at the end, um, you know, you never really become a, a smart city. I don't think you can check a box and say, okay, we're done, you know, dust off your hands and say, okay, we check that box. But to me, you become smarter when the citizens start to take ownership of these projects and help you grow them. And so for them to understand and have access to it is really important for Emily, me forward. Yeah. Emily, just a, a, a quick sidebar. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in your intro, you sort of shared that you're a, a cities person. I, I, I often um, find it interesting uh, how how sort of smart cities managers, coordinators, directors sort of speak and approach this based sometimes on their training and their background. Um, I myself, I'm a social planner and urban planner. So cities person coming to technology. So in, in, in stalking you on LinkedIn, you've sort of got civil engineering. You've also got landscape architecture in your formal training. How do you think that kind of training and background positions you for this agenda uh you know and and how have you found it has it been exciting um what can you share with us about your background and 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 what type of agenda you're in now yeah so what i can share is that it was not a linear path <laughs> much yeah. like my parents may um, you know, I started out in civil engineering because I actually wanted to be a golf course architect. I played golf in college and was really like, this would be a cool job. Let me do this. And I thought civil engineering was the way to go until my senior year, um, when like the math and science caught up to me and I thought, well, this isn't my calling. What, how can I still achieve golf course architecture, um, without the civil engineering degree? And I pivoted to landscape architecture. Uh, and I actually, you know, there looking back, they're kind of key moments in my life that I, I know were like, you know, critical points of intervention of some sort, right? Uh, to shift me back to the path that I was meant to be on. And landscape architecture was one of those because I had amazing professors um, in Arizona State University that really kind of expanded my horizon. I didn't even know about urban planning until I took landscape architecture and I had kind of take urban planning classes and just kind of starting to understand the space between you know, um, kind of how people use public space, how they engage, how these systems are all interconnected. And kind of throughout my career, I kept on building on that skill set of understanding how cities operate. Mm. Um, I did private development, I've done um, research on climate change adaptation, adaptation and mitigation efforts in waterfront development in Hamburg, Germany for a year and a half. Um, I did uh, I was a neighborhood planner in Washington, DC, where I learned how to engage with diverse communities and really leverage that to create um, amazing strategies to help kind of improve that quality of life. Um, you know, being able to look at best practices, I kind of just feel like my career has been building on examples and kind of crafting that way that I engage with people in cities and how I look at them. And for me, that's really helped kind of how I look at smart cities. Um, I am not a typical smart city person, right? Yeah, I, yeah. 
for me, it's not, and this is honestly one of the reasons that I really like this job is because when they advertised for it, it wasn't about like, what is your technical knowledge? How well do you know technology? It was really about how do you facilitate partnerships? How do you get things done? How do you make it a win-win for everybody? And I think that, that my, my career path has really coached me on how to do that by understanding how cities operate, how people engage and whatnot. And so for me, my personal, you know, the, the roadmap lays out the definition and I'll read it because that's always the best way to do it, <laughs> is that a smart city is a city that uses integrated information and communication technology to support the economic, social, and environmental goals of, the, of its community. That is a very kind of prescriptive definition, but I would expand it to say that for me, a city becomes smart when we're fostering economic growth and improving quality of life for all of its citizens. And we're doing that through the efficient management of existing resources and promoting participatory government. And so that it's, it's about taking this knowledge and you know, this data and information and turning it into knowledge and engaging the community and not being driven by technology, but really kind of working with it. Mm. Well, well, that clearly shows in that, in that sort of introductory part where you talk about sort of insights driven, data driven, um, and, and in that master data strategy section, you know, I love that you've got sort of these five guiding questions there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think sometimes it's the most simple things like that real strategic questions that we often lose, you know, like you've got here, what are we trying to understand? Question mark, you know, how will we manage data? Uh, who owns it? Uh, and how do you operationalize sort of the use of those insights? So um, very interesting. Have you found, have you felt that this has been a stretch at all? Or has it just been like this seamless transition? Coming into this role? Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, it's been surprisingly seamless. Um, yeah. I'm surrounded by an amazing group of individuals at OIT and even at the city of Philadelphia. I, you know, everybody's been amazingly welcoming, uh, even though I'm an outsider. <laughs> Um, my family's from Philadelphia. My parents and my mom and dad grew up around here. So I claim that as kind of like, it's in my blood. Um, but you know, I, I have a great team that I work on. So you talked about OIT and kind of the breadth that we, that we do. I sit on the innovation management team. And so I think even though innovation is in our title of office and innovation, uh, office of innovation and technology, the work that we do is really about helping the government, um, operate more innovatively and kind of be better about providing services. So I have a colleague who runs uh, innovation consulting and uses human-centered design and design thinking principles to help different um, city departments think in new ways about delivering services. Um, We're doing a lot on the digital literacy efforts. um, And, you know, so it's just, I'm I'm kind of in a really cool group where we get to think innovatively and, and we're encouraged to, to be risky, you know, within government, but you know, the fear of failing is not something that holds us back. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned it a couple of times and let, let's dig into it a little bit. Um, and of course, COVID has, has highlighted this around digital divide, uh, and also digital literacy. Um, when I, uh, when I was reading the, the IT sort of strategic plan, the, 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 the level, if I'm to believe what it says and, and those programs are real, the level of engagement with the community and businesses is, is incredible. It's overwhelming, as I mentioned. Um, so 
let, let, let's sort of unpack what um, what sort of this pandemic has has highlighted. What well, was there anything that was that's been highlighted that you you went you weren't aware of? I mean, if you if you come into this crisis knowing that you have you know a high level of you know vulnerable communities and there is a digital divide, um, did that? Did that and the level of engagement you'd been doing previously with the with the community? Did it put you in a a, a good position, a better position? It it, it sort of you know blindsided you. Were there new gaps that opened up? Can you share with us that issue around digital divide and digital literacy and what you've sort of you know what are your reflections you know since since March? I don't think the COVID nineteen situation has open my eyes to anything new per se. I think, again, it's just really amplified um, a lot of the challenges that we face as a, as a city. Um, you know, for me, uh, a lot of my smart city work has tied into sustainability. And I see, you know, what's happening with this pandemic is very similar to kind of some of the, the threats that we will experience as a result of climate change. And the, the groups that will be effect, most affected by it are, are pretty similar as well. Um, so, you know, I think it's just what it has created in me is a stronger sense of needing to accelerate our responses um, to these challenges, whether it be um, looking at and kind of diving in deeper to uh, the digital divide challenge where, you know, there are certain neighborhoods that just do not have access to um, the internet or technology or understanding of how to do it, and there are probably uh, you know, we're still collecting data, but the ones that are most likely to be affected by loss of jobs. So how are they connecting to job opportunities um, to sustain their, their way of living if they don't have the technology and the digital divide? They're also the same groups, the, the, our marginalized communities are having a higher rate of COVID um, positive results for testing. Um, I wanna say, and you shouldn't quote me on this, even though it's being recorded right now, but I think somewhere over 50% of our COVID positive cases are um, from communities of color. And so why is that? Is it because they're um, essential workers and working jobs where we need them? Is it because they do not have as much access to um, uh, public space where they can you know, uh, recreate and still manage social distancing? Um, you know, and how can, we then pivot our smart city strategy to address these challenges and be helpful. Um, so is there work that we can do around collecting data in the public realm that can better inform ways that our parks and recreation provide services to communities? We have a great program called Play Streets, which has been around for 50 years. And it's basically, we shut down, um, you have to submit an application, but you shut down a one-way street here in Philadelphia and um, a block captain or somebody who nominates themselves gets a bag of uh, recreational toys that they can then put out and kids can play in the street in the summer and it's um, sanctified by the government. Um, so can we utilize this data to better identify streets that we should be encouraging them to shut down and create um, play streets in the summer so that there's recreational space for uh, communities that need it. Um, you know, so it's, it's stuff like that in my mind um, where my background of kind of better understanding of urban systems uh, really kind of helps our smart city approach here in Philadelphia. Can I, can I, um, can I jump off that 
comment you've just made there around knowledge and urban systems and helping smart cities. Can you share with us internally, let's go inside the organization. Um, there have been at times in the past, you know, cities criticized because the smart cities function or agenda or strategy is kind of pigeonholed over here. It's not necessarily more widely owned by sort of all staff. Uh, how, how does it work internally for the, for the city with respect to um, how other departments sort of interact or intersect with the, the smart cities roadmap, you know, how, uh, you know, when you sort of turn to your fellow, um, you know, colleagues in, in planning and parks and, you know, those cities, those cities colleagues, what's, mm. what, what's sort of the interaction? What's the conversation? Are you, are you feeling that this is a, an agenda that's sort of, quite well known i know you've got working groups and everyone's got working groups but what's your sort of feel on the on the culture internally around smart cities so multi-pronged um one is is that we are doing a ton of smart city projects without them actually being quote unquote smart city projects so mm -hmm. we have it departments within a lot of our city departments so our streets department has their own it department and they're doing a ton of great work um in what would typically be coined smart city projects. And they've been doing it since before we even developed the strategy. You know, we have um, big belly trash cans and they're doing um, data collection around that. Um, we have, so we have kind of, we're already consistently doing smart city projects um, pre smart city roadmap. Um, but that being said, I think the challenge that I encountered coming into this position and knowing that one, there are IT departments in other departments uh, and two, they were already doing smart city work was for me, I had to make the, the value proposition to them of why it's important that it comes under this umbrella of smart cities, what value add I can provide coming in uh, where they're already doing the work without me. <laughs> um, but it also has provided me the opportunity to not have to necessarily pursue projects that are mission critical, if that makes sense. So, mm, mm. Um, you know, they're already doing the big belly work uh, and I keep abreast of it. Um, but my interest is more, what can we do with that data and how can we make it more efficient? You know, if you're already doing it, how can we continue to leverage the data that we're pulling and make it a value to other departments, um, to our, our partners at SEPTA um, and whatnot. So, you know, there's, there's some challenges to it. And I think a lot of it is also kind of educating my colleagues on why, um, cross-departmental collaboration is a value. And I, you know, honestly, I think COVID-19 and, and the budget implications of that will, will support me <laughs> yeah. uh, in that process. Because I think, you know, somebody asked me, well, what are you doing smart cities now post COVID? And I said, honestly, the lenses that the lens that I'm looking through are, does it help our budgeting process? So does it provide more information that allows us to be clearer in the budgets we're pushing forward? and or does it have cross-departmental value? So I'm not pushing forward technologies or ideas or projects that only impact one department. I need to have multi-department value in order to see a reason to push it forward and kind of you know, get the buy-in necessary to move it forward. So, yeah. Yeah, you've, you've got this section in your roadmap um, you know, evaluating solutions, problem statements, solution paths. Ah, uh, yes. 
you, you've got in there a, a yeah a series of criteria by which uh, I, I'm I'm sort of deducing that that the criteria help you sort of select what you what you do and don't do, um, and uh, the the first two points there, there's about six seven points um, the the foundation there you know does the city have relevant assets that can you know make a deployment easier and cheaper. Uh, mm -hmm. And community impact. Does the program tangibly improve the experiences and outcomes of the community? You know, this is an interesting one. And and a colleague of mine very early on, I think it was like mid-March when everything was really starting to go sideways, he sort of quipped one day on the phone saying, you know, we're now going to see which are the true smart cities and what value has the smart city strategy journey or pilots or proof of concepts today, you know, we're going to see whether they actually can and have demonstrated value or not. You know, when, when sort of, when you're in crisis mode, um, you know, what is it that makes a difference? Um, have potentially the efforts to date, you know, been, been for sort of just niceties as opposed to fundamentally helping improve and change people's lives. Can, can you unpack your interpretation of that? And, 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 and Philly, I mean, um, has, has smart cities um, so far or, and going forward, is, is it going to tangibly improve outcomes in people's lives? Uh, yes, of course it is. <laughs> I, I, I know, of course it is. Yes. Um, you know, I, I, I feel you know, personally, um, having worked in all sectors and having my father constantly tell me, you need to go to the private sector, Emily, you need to go to the private sector. I feel really strongly that my role is to really ensure that success and kind of bring that broader perspective to a position that was typically just really technology driven. Um, you know, the section you, you reference in the strategy is great because that's one of the more prescriptive components of it. Um, it, it feeds into our pitch and pilot program, which is really, you know, the title says it all, but it's our attempt to be more transparent and consistent in how we get engaged with private sector companies around solving municipal challenges. We realize we have to be partners uh, and we realize that we cannot do this all on our own, that we have to tap into kind of public or private sector expertise. And so we've created this pitch and pilot program and we've issued two challenges already um, one around waste and one around access to tap water, uh, access and appeal to tap water, um, utilizing these questions and kind of ensuring that it's a tech enabled solution, but it also is equitable and it makes sense and it improves the quality of life. So those are always consistently the things that we come back to in our work, um, you know, and we track it. We, we have measures that we, we are tracking, you know, and we're learning from. I believe that you, you can't, tell if you've had impact if you don't know where you started and where you end. And so you really need to measure it along the way to, to kind of get at that, um, that impact. But I, I think if you have a more human-centered approach to smart cities, which is much more, you know, I, I think U.S. cities are pivoting towards this, but Europe and Australia have really kind of led the way. We're a little bit slower in the uptake. Um, I, I, I really think that there could be great impact, but you really just have to think of everyone as you're moving this forward. How are those, and, and always, how are those people who don't 
have access to technology or who don't know how to use it. You know, I'm constantly, um, my parents will not listen to this, so they won't be upset when I say this, but I'm constantly brought back to that. <laughs> when they are calling me all the time, like, M, how do we do this? M, how do we do that? Um, you know, basic things kind of on computers uh, that aren't as intuitive to them as it would be to somewhat of my generation kind of thing. Emily, there's, um, there's certainly some chatter out there on the supply side. The technology vendors worried that city and municipal budgets are going to sort of shrink and freeze mm -hmm. and i mean let's be frank that that's just that's just sort of that's just a, that, that's just a, a global <laughs> given now yeah um part of me thinks uh, kind of like yeah so what i mean now is the time even more to to sweat existing assets with technology and data be smarter you know this is the calling for smart cities mm -hmm. uh you know i at times sort of that goes through my head um you've sort of got the pitch and pilot, you know, you've, you've certainly got some, some different um, uh, sort of creative procurement ideas and models, the use of PPPs. What, what, what do you sort of say, how do you respond to sort of maybe that thinking that, um, you know, this is really going to be challenging now because cities aren't going to spend, you know, what, what's your reaction to that kind of thought from the supply side? I think my reaction is, that we all need to be innovative in how we think. Nothing is moving forward as it did prior. Um, I think tech companies need to look at cities in a different light. Um, I think cities need to be a bit more nimble in the procurement side of things, and that's something that we're working hard at at the city of Philadelphia. Um, but you know, kind of my approach to tech companies recently, and and you know. The ones that I've talked to have been really receptive to this is like, listen, you need to pilot this in a public space. You need to test this in a city to see if it works. Let us be your R&D partner. Use the city of Philadelphia as a living laboratory. We will work with you to help you deploy it, test it, give you feedback. And in turn, can, can, you know, can this be a mutual partnership where we're not you know, spending a whole ton of money, but we're both benefiting from it because you need that support. Mm. Um, can we help you deploy it quickly so that you're getting that information quickly? Those are things that we can do that don't have budgetary impact, mm. but can be really valuable to the technologist and also to the city. And then we also in turn are able to do proof of concept in a way and take the data and say, actually, you know, this really is helping our budget. This is helping us with our pavement um, budget because we're able to determine what roads need to be repaired immediately versus what ones we can wait on a couple of years. Uh, and so then we can scale it up, but we have, you know, for us on the, on the, the city side, there are checks and balances to keep us from just going out and, and spending money on whatever we think is relevant, right? We have the procurement process in place for that. We have our, um, our miscellaneous purchase order, which is what we utilize for the, the pitch and pilot, which requires us to put out a call for solutions and solicit those and then evaluate them and move forward with the pilot. And it limits the amount of money we can spend. As of um, currently, it's 34,000, no more than 34,000, but there is a, a vote, uh, a ballot initiative in the elections in November, which allows us as of July 1st to increase that to 75,000 to 100,000 uh, for a local organization. So again, it's, it's helping us kind of move forward with these piloting and getting that data so that we can then go and internally make the case for why we should be scaling it up. Um, but I think it's just innovative thinking from the onset of, 
you know, these are the challenges. How do we make it a win-win? It might not be the same win-win as we had pre-COVID, but what do we ultimately want to get out of this uh, and, and kind of move forward with that? Emily, last question now. Um, and, and I probably, as I usually do, ask, ask sort of a more personal question and, and sort of ref reflection. And, and it's around, you know, what are you looking forward to? Uh, I know it's a, an odd question for 2020, but um, <laughs> what, what, what's left in the, in the year? What, what are you excited about? What are you looking forward to sort of over the next six, 12 months? Well, besides daycare opening back up. <laughs> um, <laughs> honestly, I like challenges. I like figuring out solutions to things that seem insurmountable. And so I think um, uh, Graham Emanuel, mayor of Chicago, once said, never let a crisis go to waste. Mm. And so I'm just really excited for the next six time, nine months to really take advantage of the opportunities that COVID has created in terms of awareness of things that we need to do. Um, new funding mechanisms. Uh, there are a lot of grants out there that we're, we're hoping to get to do some, some really interesting things. But also, um, I'm looking forward to making new partnerships that really help drive the city of Philadelphia forward as a smart city. I, uh, I would uh, certainly concur with, with those and indeed imagine many cities um, would, would be viewing it, 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 it as a, a, a really exciting opportunity for, for new partnerships and things like that and um, look forward to checking in, uh, in in the not too distant future. Uh, but Emily, just wanting to extend a big thank you for joining us um, during uh, during this sort of somewhat challenging time. We're all juggling different things. I'm glad we could make time zones work. Um, thanks so much for joining us on the Chronicles today. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. This is a, a really great opportunity to talk about what we're doing here pleasure that's a pleasure uh, and for our listeners that was emily yates smart city director at the city of philadelphia uh, in the united states um, if you're not subscribing to the chronicles you can do so head to your favorite place or platform where you get your podcasts the smart cities chronicles you will find us there you can also head to our website uh, the smart cities chronicles.com uh, my name is adam beck the host of the chronicles uh, thanks for joining us episode 71 we look forward to sharing another episode very soon thanks for listening